Okay, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 376. Welcome in. Uh, surprise, I was not planning on doing this episode. Uh, really, I should be working on my NFL predictions. I'm actually being kind of <sighs> undisciplined here, maybe is the word. Uh, I have a lot of stuff to talk about today, and I, I was sitting today watching football working on my other stuff. I'm like, dude, I should just sit down and talk. I don't necessarily need to prep super hard. I've got, you know, notes here and I've got some stuff, but for the most part, uh, it's a casual day. I'm not wearing a collared shirt. Normally I do. Uh, I'm wearing two shirts, which is probably a mistake here. It's a little hot, but whatever. Uh, and I, in case somehow I don't end up getting all of my predictions out before Thursday, because this episode might've put set me back like half a day. So, Hey, just, I just, I couldn't stay away. I couldn't not do it. Uh, let me say right now, Tampa Bay is going to beat Dallas on Thursday night. I, I feel very strongly in that. Uh, that's the only thing my predictions may not be able to cover in case they come out after that game. Let me tell you right now, Tom Brady is going to beat Dak Prescott on Thursday. Uh, case in, uh, I guess case closed. That's all I have to say. Uh, very relaxed today. I want to talk about college football. We'll talk about Formula One, that very boring, horrible race at the very end. We'll talk about Tom Brady a little bit. I want to start here, though, because something happened tonight that made me... Dude, it made me... Like, I didn't cry. I didn't actually cry, but I teared up thinking about the journey this guy's been on. So, uh, the Florida State-Notre Dame game was tonight. Uh, easily the best game of the weekend. You know, the, 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 the lone kind of standout Sunday game. And uh, I want to give a shout-out to new Notre Dame quarterback Jack Cohn. He's a transfer from Wisconsin, lost his job there. Uh, had a good game, good for him, good for Jack Cohn. Looks like Notre Dame got a starting quarterback, great for them. But here's like the story of the weekend, and it's Mackenzie Milton. Uh, we, we almost, we didn't quite, but we got like a couple feet away from having a storybook, like movie fairy tale ending on Sunday night tonight. And uh, I still, by the way, do not know why Florida State did not start Mackenzie Milton at quarterback the entire game. I, I get the kind of the conspiracy going around is that, well, maybe Florida State wanted to protect Mackenzie Milton. The rumor is he hadn't practiced in a while. Like, I hear all that stuff. But the guy they started at quarterback, Jordan Travis, never looked comfortable. He kind of refused to stay in the pocket all game. And you could say, well, the offensive line wasn't very good. But sometimes you got to hang in the pocket, take some hits, make throws downfield. Jordan Travis, like, I think he, he had three interceptions tonight, two touchdowns, ran for a touchdown. But at end of the day, I'm like, I don't know why this guy, I, I don't really know how this guy found himself as a starting quarterback of Florida State uh, against Notre Dame week one of college football. But here, here's what happened, like the amazing thing. Nine minutes left in the game. Notre Dame leads by 10, 38-28. And Jordan Travis, the, the starting quarterback that no one expected for Florida State, had his helmet knocked off. And so, and that's kind of a trivial thing. Like, that happens often. A player leaves for one play, and then they come back after one play. In comes Mackenzie Milton at quarterback, and we're thinking, I am watching this going, okay, one play, like, I wish it was more. I'm frustrated he hasn't been on the field all game. Like, I, I even saw something on Twitter somewhere, someone, they said, like, if Mackenzie Milton can stand, he should be playing quarterback right now. That's how bad things were going for Florida State at the quarterback position throughout the entire game. But Mackenzie Milton comes in the game. It's been over a thousand days since he last played a college football game. November 2018, he destroyed his leg, horrible injury. Doctor said he'd never play again. Here he is playing again. 
And not only, so first of all, that moment in general, him being on the field, even if it only been for one play, that, that moment made me tear up. I realized, I thought about it. I'm like, this guy, Mackenzie Milton, has been through so much physical therapy and so much work. And dude, when you're injured and you can't do the thing you love, it's really, really depressing. And this guy fought so hard for his dream, for that moment to be back on a college football field again on national TV against Notre Dame. That moment alone was amazing. And I I started tearing up. And then what happened was he led a touchdown drive. It wasn't one play. It was two plays and three plays. He went four for four on his very first drive as a new Florida State quarterback, replacing Jordan Travis. And they left him in the game. And he led another drive to to make the game-tying field goal happen. Game goes to overtime. And you're like, dude, is this going to happen? Is he going to lead a comeback against Notre Dame? And unfortunately, it didn't happen, right? Unfortunately, in overtime, Florida State's kicker missed a field goal. Notre Dame's kicker made their field goal. They win the game. But I just, (laughs) I don't really care. It's a movie still. It just had a bad ending, right? It's... Just because it wasn't exactly what we wanted didn't make the moment any like less special. I mean, it did a little bit. I would have loved to see. I, I can acknowledge that. I wanted to see. We all did. Mackenzie Milton make a comeback, win the game. We didn't get that. But the fact that he even made it interesting was like incredible. And I thought, of all the games I watched this weekend, this game, Florida State-Notre Dame, was the one that stood out to me. And I was like, wow. And he had a throw on third and eleven. To it, it was like a 15-yard throw down to like the four-yard line. Mackenzie Milton, I, I put it on my Instagram story. It's a video of him throwing over the middle. Gates drilled as he's hit. It, it's a throw up and over a linebacker into a perfectly small window. That's an NFL throw. And like I, I don't know that Mackenzie Milton's an NFL quarterback, but that one throw was like, dude, this is what Florida State needed all game. They needed a guy to hang in the pocket and deliver the ball rather than whatever Jordan Travis was doing running around. And they talked about before the game how Jordan Travis had all these problems and, you know, was struggling with confidence. And I'm like, why is this guy your starting quarterback? I don't, no offense to the guy, but it was so clearly Mackenzie Milton who was the better quarterback at Florida State. And I I think everyone watching was like, where was this all game? I don't understand. Now, here's the last kind of weird, crazy thought about this game. Uh, Apparently, Mackenzie Milton's mom's name is Teresa. So you're, you're playing against Notre Dame, Mackenzie Milton literally has his own mother, Teresa. And I, I, it's so weird. Like, holy crap, man. It's so funny. I really thought we were going to get the fairy tale ending. He wins the game. We didn't get that. But what we got was still fun regardless. And I uh, had a great time watching Florida State and Notre Dame. Okay, let's shift to number two. Um, literally number two. Number two ranked Oklahoma barely beat. Tulane on Saturday. They won, Oklahoma won 40-35 to 35 over Tulane. Uh, and by the way, the game was moved from, it was supposed to take place in New Orleans where Tulane is, you know, located, the university is. Uh, the game got moved to Norman, Oklahoma. And so I, I don't know how much, like LSU lost to UCLA. I don't know how much Hurricane Ida affected Tulane, but they were there to compete, man. It was awesome to watch. Uh, at one point, like they, Tulane led 7 to nothing, then 14-7, to seven. Now, uh, here's, the, here's a weird thing. And, and the question you have to ask when you talk about Oklahoma and Tulane, basically what happened? Like, how does number two ranked Oklahoma barely beat Tulane by five points? So first of all, uh, their young redshirt sophomore quarterback, Spencer Rattler, 
a guy who we all look at and say, we see the NFL potential. Like he so easily makes amazing throws all over the field. But at the same time, Spencer Rattler also so easily makes boneheaded mistakes where you're like, I don't understand what you're doing. Like, I don't know why you threw there. And Spencer Rattler had some struggles. Uh, like he literally, his second throw of the entire season was an interception into triple coverage where you're like, what are you doing, dude? I love you. You're a great quarterback. Why are you throwing the ball there? I know what I'm sure Oklahoma fans felt the same thing. They're like, why is this happening? Why is he throwing the ball there? Now, the reality of this game, and here's how Oklahoma lost by or how Oklahoma barely won by five points. Oklahoma led this game 37 to 14 at halftime. Like this game was headed towards a blowout. But then in the second half, Oklahoma only scored three points. One lonely field goal. They had five drives in the second half. They had they got stopped on fourth and one. They missed a field goal. They made a field goal. They threw an interception. And then finally, the, the last drive of the game for Oklahoma, they got the ball with two minutes left and a five-point lead. They ran out the clock, secured the win. Uh, but in the second half, Tulane outscored Oklahoma by 21-3. to three. Like, they, they outscored Oklahoma by 17 points. And I guess the real question here is, why can't Oklahoma ever find a way to play defense? I just do not understand. Every year, Oklahoma has the exact same problem. Their defense is terrible. Uh, now, shout-out to Tulane quarterback Michael Pratt. He's a young dude. I believe COVID, that weird COVID season last year, screwed up eligibility. He's basically technically still a freshman. Last year, he was a true freshman. This year, he's still a freshman, but not a redshirt freshman because he didn't redshirt. Eligibility is all messed up in college football right now. Um, but Michael Pratt had a pretty good game, threw the ball really well, had three fumbles. That can never happen. Uh, but I didn't want to say like he had a terrible game because he, he didn't. Like Michael Pratt had a great game against Oklahoma. And the story here is that really... Three fumbles, but otherwise, great, which is like a weird oxymoron, but you know what I mean. Uh, Now, Oklahoma did not look like the number two team in the nation, like at all. You're like, how how did this team end up ranked as the number two team in the country? I don't get it. Uh, And for Tulane to have three fumbles and still barely lose the game by five points should never happen. And uh, I'm curious where Oklahoma lands in the rankings uh, whenever they come out next, because... Oh boy, that, that game should not have been a five-point game. Like, not even close. Now, how about this? Here's a fun one. UCLA beat number 16 LSU. And I want to start with the UCLA perspective because this is a really, really big win for UCLA. Good for them, man. Uh, they're 2-0. and They beat Hawaii two weeks ago. They just beat LSU. And, and I've been waiting and waiting and waiting for the LSU football program to take a step forward. And I'm curious, like, is it finally time? Is it finally what I've been waiting for for years? Is, are they making progress with their, their head coach, Chip Kelly? He's been there for a while. Uh, Chip Kelly once won a ton of games at Oregon, put up a bazillion points coaching for them, went to a national championship. I've been waiting for him to have similar success at UCLA, and it hasn't happened. And I got to say, on Saturday against LSU, that is the best that – UCLA's offense has looked in the entire Chip Kelly era down in LA. And uh, I guess over, I'm, I'm in Hawaii, so technically like they're actually north of me now. It's a very weird orientation-wise. Anyway, um, Greg Dulcich, the tight end for UCLA, had a couple really big plays. And uh, this offense for UCLA, big plays. They ran the ball well. They dominated the line of scrimmage. It was very impressive to see what they did against UCLA. I'm like, oh, wow, Th- this is like a really impressive offensive performance. Uh, UCLA led LSU 38 to 20 
and LSU's defense could not stop them. So shout out to their offense. UCLA quarterback Dorian Thompson Robinson. I've been saying for years, he's like a he's a volcano waiting to erupt. Like we're waiting and waiting. When is this guy gonna live up to the talent he so clearly has? And we might finally see that this year. That would be amazing. Uh, and it just made me excited. This might finally be the year UCLA is really, really good. And I know that I think it's actually Thanksgiving weekend. We have whatever, whatever, I think November 20th is when UCLA plays USC. Keaton Slovis against DTR. And I would imagine that's also Thanksgiving weekend. But, oh boy, uh, I cannot wait for that game. I, I'm already looking ahead to that. Because I think if UCLA is good and USC is what they've been recently, which is competitive and interesting, to, not nationally, but in the Pac-12, they could be on a collision course for a really fun meeting later in the year. And I just, oh, I'm, I'm so hopeful. Maybe, maybe this is the year that UCLA finally puts it all together under Chip Kelly. Now, uh, the LSU perspective. You cannot lose to a Pac-12 school if you're LSU. Like, it's terrible. Now, I wonder, did the hurricane throw them off? Very possibly. Remember, they've been, I think they went to Fort Worth or Texas, or they went somewhere else to practice, and I guess the Saints went to TCU. So I don't know, I don't know where LSU went to practice, but they went, they went away somewhere else. Um, but also, you know, LSU lost, but they also played on the road. So did Tulane. They played in Oklahoma. Tulane played really well. Why can't LSU play well? I don't know. And I'm starting to wonder. I, I'm looking at the LSU head coach, Ed Orgeron. And is he a one-hit wonder? Is Ed Orgeron kind of like the former Alabama head coach, Gene Chizik, who one year had a couple good players, had a really good offensive coordinator. He had Gus Malzahn. Uh, the, the one year, you know, Ed Orgeron had Joe Brady as the passing game coordinator that one year. A Heisman quarterback, you know, Cam Newton with Gene Chizik, Joe Burrow with Ed Orgeron. And you had one year where the stars aligned, you win a national title. But then after that, it's never been the same. Like Gene Chizik got fired very quickly. And Ed Orgeron hasn't done anything since Joe Burrow left LSU. So I'm just wondering, how long does Ed Orgeron have? I mean, I know he won a national title. I know they, they like him, like his personality. But at what point do we go, huh, how much of this success was because of Joe Burrow and Joe Brady rather than because of Ed Orgeron? And... I don't know, but I, I just want to, it's a very problematic question. What has Ed Orgeron done since Joe Burrow left LSU? Nothing. Not much, really, at all. Okay, uh, number five, Georgia, played against number three, Clemson. Boring. Not a fun game. Very disappointing. Georgia won 10-3. to Neither offense even had a touchdown, by the way. Like, it was really—I was like, are you kidding me? You have two guys who—JT Daniels and DJ Uyunglele, two, like, really talented young quarterbacks, potentially, that could play in the NFL. Neither of them looked very good. I'm like, ah, this is so not what I wanted. It was a defensive battle. If you like that, you enjoyed the game. I did not enjoy this game. Um, the only touchdown came when Clemson quarterback DJ Uyunglele— Threw a pick six. Gave Georgia seven points. They won by that margin. Uh, Christopher Smith had the pick six. He was the MVP of the game. Uh, but my big takeaway from this game, watching Georgia, watching Clemson, a slugfest, right? Just ugly offensive play, really good defensive play. Interesting, but not really, like, exciting to watch. And I'm, I'm sitting there wondering, I'm thinking to myself, hey, I just watched Alabama 
crush Miami. Can either of these teams beat Alabama? And realistically, I don't think so. I don't think, I don't think Georgia can beat Alabama. I don't think Clemson can beat Alabama right now. Um, and that, that's my big takeaway. This game was like kind of interesting because it was close. It wasn't exciting at all. It's kind of like that Rams-Patriots Super Bowl. I, I thought it was boring. But again, it was a close match. And I, I think that also can tell us that neither team can hold a candle to Alabama. So let's talk about Alabama. They smacked University of Miami. Did I say Florida? I meant Miami. If I said Miami, if I said Florida earlier, I meant Alabama smacked Florida. Anyway, uh, Alabama beat Miami 44 to 13. <laughs> Ooh, uh, I saw a funny meme. It was from uh, some, some writer in Miami. He, he shared a meme. He said, if you don't know who your cupcake, uh, let, me, let, me, let me back this up. I don't want to screw it up. Word for word, the meme said, if you don't know who the cupcake is in your season opener, it's you, right? That's Miami. That they Miami fans are like, huh? Where's our you? You guys, <laughs> you're the vanilla team Alabama's playing because they do this every single year. In, in 2016, Alabama beat the dog smack tar. I don't want to say the s word. Uh, 52 to six out of USC, right? In 2018, Alabama beat LSU 51 to 14. In 2019, it was Duke. Alabama beat Duke 42 to three. This is what they do every year. They pick a middle level, you know. FBS program and beat the tar out of them week one. They do that every year at Alabama. And Alabama reloaded, man. They lost eight offensive starters. They lost six guys who were drafted in the first round of the NFL draft. That is six people who are now starting week one in the NFL. Mac Jones, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle, Najee Harris, Patrick Sertan, and Raiders right tackle Alex Leatherwood. Six people starting right now today in the NFL left Alabama. And they didn't miss a beat. <laughs> they looked fine. They dominated. Nothing changed. They beat the tar out of Miami. And uh, Bama, they're well coached. They are overwhelmingly talented. I cannot praise Alabama enough. I'm like, hey, look, I people don't like when I say this, but it's true. They probably are going to win the national title again this year. I, I don't see a road that doesn't lead to that unless there are catastrophic things that take place because Alabama looks very, very dominant. Now, Against Miami week one, we got to see, for the first time, Alabama's new young quarterback, Bryce Young. Uh, he looks like another NFL quarterback. He looks fantastic. He extends plays really well. That's probably the best part of his game was how many times he got outside of the pocket. Didn't run for very many yards. I think he literally ran twice for like negative one yard, actually. But Bryce Young doesn't need to run downfield. He runs from the pocket to the sideline, keeping a play alive, throwing the ball downfield over and over and over again. Uh, he's getting NFL coaching from Bill O'Brien. Remember, Bill O'Brien failed as a Texans head coach and general manager. But right now, he's a quarterback coach at Alabama. He's the offensive coordinator at Alabama. That's an NFL-level coach coaching Bryce Young in college, giving him really good feedback, really helping him progress and develop as a young quarterback. And I remember the day when Alabama did not have NFL-level quarterbacks. I remember that. And I'm like, there was a moment when I, I think it started when they lost to Clemson. And Nick Saban said, I'm not doing this anymore. No more. God, what, what was that guy's name? I, I can't remember. He had, there was a string of quarterbacks at Alabama who just did not work in the NFL, were not franchise quarterbacks. And something changed there philosophically. Their offense has changed. You got Tua, you got Mac Jones. Uh, I think from that competition, Jalen Hurts is so competitive, he made himself also an NFL quarterback. Now we have Bryce Young. He's another guy. I think we're going to have four Alabama quarterbacks in a row that play in the NFL. 
and are starting, by the way, in the NFL. Look at the future of Bryce Young. It's very bright. And uh, what I saw, overreaction Monday for sure, but Bryce Young looks fantastic after one game. Okay, now uh, Thursday night, Ohio State uh, beat Minnesota. The game went exactly like I said it would. Uh, Minnesota kept it close for about two quarters, two and a half quarters, a little into the third quarter. Uh, you know, Minnesota actually led at halftime, 14 to 10. And then Minnesota had the lead later, you know, early, very early on in the third quarter, Minnesota led the game 21 to 17. But after that, things unraveled for Minnesota. They had a, you know, Ohio State hit a really quick touchdown, like a long throw to Garrett Wilson, I believe. CJ Stroud looks great, by the way, their young quarterback. Hard to know, like, didn't get a lot of really good NFL looks. I don't really know yet. Bryce Young, I was like, that's a great guy. CJ Stroud, I'm like, let's see more. I, I can't tell you. It just There weren't many opportunities to, into, like, to really show how good he was. Uh, but Ohio State, they scored an offensive touchdown. And then a next possession, Tanner Morgan got hit, fumbled. Ohio State picked it up for a touchdown. Suddenly, like, a 14-point swing has happened. Ohio State has a 10-point lead. Uh, they took over from that point. Ohio State won 45-31 to 31 over Minnesota. I don't know. No shame against Minnesota, man. They put up a fight. It was exactly what I thought would happen. They were competitive. It was compelling for a while. And then the game unraveled. But I, that, that's about where Minnesota is, right? Ohio State's a better program than Minnesota. So no, no shame for Minnesota. They should walk away with their heads held high. We competed. We made them earn it. And we made it difficult for Ohio State. And the game played out about exactly as anyone would hope would happen. Uh, and I think Minnesota is still a really good program. So I'm excited to watch what they do with the rest of the year. Ohio State is just clearly better. Okay, here's a really interesting one. And this will surprise people. I need to drink some water real quick first. North Carolina lost to Virginia Tech 17-10. to And it was a really tough, ugly loss. Not good. Uh, a rough game for UNC's quarterback, Sam Howell. Many people see Sam Howell as the potential number one overall pick. The way he's talked about, he's got potential. He's an NFL quarterback. Uh, a lot of people have already decided he's going to be the number one overall pick in the 2022 NFL draft. And what we saw last week, uh, week one of college football, really alarmed a lot of people. They went, oh, no. He had a bad stat line. Uh, and I saw what happened, and I didn't immediately think Sam Howell is terrible. I went and saw, and I went, oh, man. This is going to be a really rough year for Sam Howell. It's going to challenge him a lot as a young quarterback. He went, in this game, uh, he was 17 for 32 passing for 208 yards, threw one touchdown, had three interceptions. He got sacked six times. And what we saw was a guy who has a bad offensive line, not much help, uh, constant pressure was in his face all day, Receivers are dropping passes. He was making great throws that were getting dropped, back shoulder throws, throws over the middle, all, all over the field, right? Receivers were dropping passes, not making plays on good throws. It was really, really hard to watch. And North Carolina's offensive line just does not look prepared to protect their, young, their, their quarterback, Sam Howell. He got hit immediately multiple times with a three-man rush. What that means is that you had five offensive linemen blocking three defenders, and yet they still couldn't do it, even with the numbers advantage. North Carolina could not win up front, and that is not Sam Howell's fault. Multiple times, I'm like, man, I, I, w I would give you a coaching point. Like, hey, find your check down or find your hot read. But when your offensive line just gets beat over and over and over again, and you 
despite having the numbers advantage, still lose, there's not much you can do. You have to change the way you play quarterback. He had a bad interception at the end of the game. There was a moment where UNC had a shot, had the ball with like three minutes left, down seven, a shot to tie the game, and Sam Howell had a really bad unforced error on second down where he was hit as he threw. He tried to force it downfield rather than take the sack, and uh, you know my fiance called it an ego throw. You're probably kind of right there. It's just an unforced error. He's got to throw the ball away rather than why even get hit, throw the ball away before you're hit, stop trying to fight, live to see another day. It's only second down, but Sam Howell, uh, I, I, like, I, from my memory, I believe it was second down. He converted, he converted, like he tried to convert a, a third down, then he converted a fourth down. Like he, he kept converting over and over again. And this was a, just kind of a, a throwaway play, actually. It wasn't, it wasn't a key down. He had more downs to live with. I remember that. And he should have thrown the ball away. So here's a lesson from UNC versus Virginia Tech. This is going to be a really tough year for Sam Howell, and it's going to be very, very good for him. It's going to help prepare him for the NFL. Where if you're a top five pick, by the way, if, if, let's say he goes to the Detroit Lions next year, or I'm trying to think of who, who's, who might need a quarterback, right? Usually if you're a top five pick in the NFL draft, you go to a terrible football team. There's a reason they have a top five pick. They have a bad offensive line. They have no receivers. You have no help. And so Sam Howell is going to be dealing with problems this year. He's probably, I would assume, he's, this is his third year starting at UNC. Probably the worst team he's ever had around him. Where in high school, I would imagine, had a great offensive line, playing against weaker competition, dominating, no problem. This will be the first time where he's going to deal with a bad offensive line, getting hit constantly, playing in a messy pocket, having receivers who, look, you got to throw the ball to a great location because if you don't make a perfect throw every time, they're going to drop it, and they're not very talented. And you got to get the ball out of your hands very quickly. If they give you a completion, take it. Take the check down. Take the easy throw. Just live to see another. He's going to have to learn how to play quarterback a completely different way. And there was a couple plays where I'm like, hey, Sam, no one's open. Throw to your check down. Stop extending a play. Stop running around behind the line of scrimmage. Like, these are lessons Sam Howell clearly needs to learn based on the Virginia Tech game. And so if Sam Howell wants to even compete, let alone move the ball this year, he's going to have to develop some NFL habits immediately, which that's good for him. He might as well learn those lessons now rather than next year in the NFL. And learning how to do well despite being under pressure constantly, getting hit every play, knowing that you got to get the ball out of your hands really, really quickly. That's not necessarily bad. And so this fall, North Carolina, they're a bad football team, especially on offense. They've got a bad offensive line. Their receiving core is going to struggle. But it also, the, the, the uncomfortableness of it, right? The limitation Sam Howell is going to face is going to make him a, into a better NFL quarterback in the long run. Like, Drew Brees went to Purdue. Drew Brees did not go to Alabama. There's a reason for years most NFL quarterbacks that succeeded in the NFL didn't actually go to the best college football programs because they guys who went to Purdue like Drew Brees had to learn NFL habits earlier. And the NFL's changing. We're seeing guys like Tua do well and Mac Jones do well. But usually as a rule of thumb, if you play like Matt Ryan played at Boston College. And Matt Ryan came to the NFL ready to go because he had limitations around him in college. He had to learn to win a different way. So my point is that this is good for Sam Howell. The struggle, the pain, 
the hits his body's going to take, the, the drops, all the struggle he's going to deal with this year is going to force him to grow as a quarterback, and the process is going to make him better when he eventually goes to the NFL. Okay, uh, we have some news, by the way. Apparently, four schools have submitted or are planning to submit applications into the Big 12. Uh, but these four schools are Cincinnati, Houston, BYU, and Central Florida. Uh, interesting. I, if I were the Pac-12, I would have jumped on BYU immediately. I would have not let the Big 12 get their hands on BYU. I would have wanted that big... The, the, look, the Mormon faith, love it or hate it, it's got a massive following and a lot of money. And I, I am very surprised that... There was a story that came out that the Big 10 and the Pac-12 and the Big 12 have this alliance. And they're, you know, the Pac-12 is like, we're not going to poach any of your teams, Right. Why? Why Why play nice with another conference that's your competition? I, I don't understand why the Big Ten, Big 12, and Pac-12 are all playing nice together. There must be some financial reason that I can't foresee, but I, I just don't get it. And uh, I don't know. Uh, good for Cincinnati, good for Houston, good for Central Florida and BYU. They're taking a step up, I guess. I, my, my fear is that it's actually going to, instead of elevate those four programs, it's actually going to diminish a little bit the big 12 so we'll see what the result is but it sounds like the, the big 12 is going to survive they're going to have cincinnati houston byu and central florida replacing some of the people that have left and are leaving and uh keep your eye on that story moving forward now by the way uh number 20 university of washington they got upset they lost to montana i love it missoula the boys came over to Seattle, they beat the, they beat the Huskies 13-7. to 7. It was very fun. Uh, my buddy, a high school teammate of mine, he was my tight end in high school, Skylar Martin. He now plays on the offensive line for Montana. They beat Washington. It's a huge upset. Congratulations. Go Grizzlies. Great job. Uh, now, here's what's funny about the story to me. I'm not a UW fan. I went to Washington State. Uh, I also I had a I, – I went to school in Tacoma for a while. And I went to multiple Washington program, like practices where I just in the stands watching. Uh, I also watched their spring game. And I remember watching their quarterback competition a couple of years ago. And there was a, a quarterback named Jake Hayner competing with Jacob Eason. And Jacob Eason was a transfer out of Georgia, the local kid who had all the talent in the world. Like literally looks like Fabio. Has this, he's tall, got a huge arm. And he didn't know the playbook very well. <laughs> and Jake Hayner was not as talented, was not bigger, did not have as strong an arm, but he knew the playbook by heart. And quite frankly, he was the better quarterback in that competition. Like, who moved the ball better? Who knew the playbook better? Who was more encouraging to the people around him? Jake Hayner was not, didn't have as much potential, but was a better quarterback at Washington than Jacob Eason was. And Jake Hayner was so mad, he got slighted and kind of screwed over out of the job. Like, he was a better quarterback, but he wasn't named the starting quarterback. He transferred to Fresno State. And I say all that to tell you that when Washington played Montana the other day, they didn't have a quarterback. They had Dylan Morris, who threw three interceptions, looked really bad, like really bad. And you're like, oh, God, Washington has no quarterback. What's ironic, though, is that same day, Jake Hayner played for Fresno State. He almost beat University of Oregon. 
Had a couple fumbles. It sucks, but he looked really, really good. And it's so funny to me. I don't know what justice is here. I don't know that it would have been really smart to make Jay Kander the starting quarterback instead of Jacob Easton. I don't, I don't know. Hindsight 2020, I don't know. But it is pretty funny that Washington lost because they didn't have a quarterback. And the quarterback they didn't love up enough to keep was on another program's football team that day doing very, very well, Jay Kaner. And you know what would have saved Washington the embarrassment of losing to Montana? If they had Jake Hayner on Saturday. They needed a quarterback. The one they used to have did really well without them. And uh, Jake Hayner, man, I don't know that he's an NFL quarterback, but he has really good habits, and I'm excited to watch what he does this year at Fresno State. Hey, Derek Carr played at Fresno State. Like, you can go to the NFL from Fresno State, and uh, although so did Trent Dilfer. So, like, uh, I don't know. But uh, keep your eye on Jake Hayner. He's a guy that I think really, really underrated. Like, not a huge arm. He's a smaller dude but makes good decisions, really accurate, and, uh, man, Washington could have used him on Saturday. Now, uh, let's talk about Tom Brady. Tom Brady made news this past week when Tom Brady pointed out that it's weird when NFL defenses pay for the mistake of an offense. So when a quarterback doesn't see a blitz and gets nailed, and then the defense gets penalized. That's weird. And he referenced, he said, I saw this during a Bears game. He didn't say Justin Fields' name, but he was referencing a moment where Justin Fields had a free rusher come off the right side, didn't see the blitz at all, got nailed, and the ref threw a flag. And the reality is that that penalty shouldn't exist. That's not really on the defense for that mistake. If you get a free shot at the quarterback, you take it because that's awesome. That's not... The defense's fault. That's the quarterback for not being smart enough to realize, hey, that guy's going to hit me. I better get out of the way or get rid of the football. Or another example of the defense paying for an offensive mistake is when a receiver gets hit on a crossing route. And a quarterback makes a bad throw. He leads the receiver into a defender. Like, you ever see a moment where a guy gets clotheslined and you're like, dude, the quarterback left his receiver out to dry. Why, why, why would you throw the ball there? It's not open. You're just going to get your guy killed. And too often in the NFL, we see the defense get penalized for something that was the mistake of the quarterback. Like, Hey, throw the ball to a better location, put it behind the guy to keep him like protect his body or maybe don't throw the ball. Like Tom Brady literally talked about in that quote, how when he had Ray Lewis sitting in the middle of the field, he's like, I'm not throwing the ball where my guy's going to get drilled by Ray Lewis and maybe injured. So Brady's right. It's unfair. And this is something that's been brewing for a while. But when Tom Brady says it, it has way more power. It's kind of like in form of the one when Lewis Hamilton points something out. Lewis Hamilton, seven time, literally, they both won seven titles, right? When you dominate your sport and you point out a flaw, it has way more power and influence. So Tom Brady's dead right. And uh, we need to raise the standards a little bit in the NFL where we stop penalizing defenses for offensive mistakes like I guess it makes scoring happen more it makes a game more cupcake but is that really like good is that the game being played as at its highest level no it's not and my last kind of thought about this is that as I was watching Tom Brady he was on some kind of it was like a Buccaneers YouTube show and by the way people don't realize that all that stuff is marketing when you when the Indianapolis Colts have a YouTube channel and they put out videos, they're marketing to you to make themselves look good. So it's not really 
real story. Like often people read too much into it. And I'm like, well, they're framing it to make them look good. But my point is this. Watching Tom Brady talk about football made me go, I hope this dude will be a broadcaster someday. I hope he does some kind of content, whether it's a podcast or radio show or hosts a TV show on ESPN or is broadcasting games every weekend. I don't care. But I, I really realize watching him talk about that, I'm like, I really want to see Tom Brady talk about football more when his career is over. That's kind of a, that's a bucket list thing. I think the, the world of sports would be better. I would listen to that every single episode. And uh, Tom Brady's got too much knowledge to not, like knowledge. Remember like the Ty Lopez? Knowledge. Tom Brady has too much knowledge. I'm getting tired. It's, what is it? 916. Uh, anyway. Uh, Tom Brady needs to broadcast or share something about football when his career comes to an end. All right, uh, last topic of the day. We just had the Netherlands Grand Prix uh, in Formula One. It was a very boring race. Uh, I'm going to mention it. I'm not going to do a topic about it. I'm not going to put it on YouTube and, you know, you know, race review for the Netherlands Grand Prix because I don't have a lot to say. It was a very, very, it was one of the more boring races of the year. And I, I can't pretend this week. I am short on time. I don't have time to flesh it out. It wasn't exciting. Max Verstappen led the entire race other than a couple laps where he took a pit stop before Valtteri Botas, right? Like, it's nonsense. Uh, now, there are two stories that stood out. Number one, Max Verstappen won. Uh, and in doing so, he took the lead in Formula 1. And he, he's Dutch, so this was his home race in Formula 1. Very cool to take the lead in the F1 title race and do it in front of your home country. Very exciting. Uh, Sergio Perez, the other Red Bull driver, finished in eighth place after starting at the back in pit lane. That's also very notable. Good driving there. I think he won driver of the day. Uh, so Max Verstappen got first place. He got 25 points for the day. Lewis Hamilton got second place, 18 points, plus one more for fastest lap. So 19 points on the day. Remember going into the race, Lewis Hamilton was three points ahead of Max Verstappen. Max made up six points. So now Max is three points ahead of Lewis. Uh, Valtteri Bottas got third. Mercedes was unhappy. There was a point during the race where they said on the radio, hey, your pace is really slow. And uh, likely he's going to lose his job to George Russell next year. And uh, I don't know. I, I just, like, I look at everything Valt Valtteri Bottas has done, and he's not done enough to keep his job next year in Formula 1. Now, here are the current Formula 1 driver standings you have. In first place, Max Verstappen has 224.5 points. Uh, three points behind him in second place, Lewis Hamilton has 20, 200 so 224.5 for Max. In second, 221.5 for Lewis. They're three points apart. They're going to have a battle for the rest of the year. It's going to be very fun and interesting. The battle for third is between Valtteri Bottas, who has 123 points, and Lando Norris, who has 114 points in Formula 1. He's in fourth. Valtteri Bottas is in third right now. We'll see if that changes as the year goes on. And the team standings, the Constructors' Championship, right now Mercedes leads with 344.5 points. Red Bull is in second. They have 332.5 points. They are 12 points behind Mercedes. Ferrari, the battle for third right now is between Ferrari, who has 181.5 points. 181.5 and McLaren is in fourth right now, battling for third with 170 points. And finally, this shows how different the gap. So the, the battle for first, Red Bull Mercedes, the battle for third, Ferrari McLaren, then way behind him, literally over 80 points behind McLaren. You have Alpine with 90 points in fifth place. So 
the battle for third is between two teams. The battle for first is between two teams. The battle, same in the driver standings. So uh, we'll see. I'm excited to see who gets third and who wins in both categories. And it should be a really fun, interesting end to the year. This race in particular... Um, not, not a great track, man. I like the track is interesting because a lot of camber, it's high tire wear, but not a lot of opportunities for overtakes. A really short pitch straight or really short straightaway. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I not my favorite F1 race of the year, not even very notable. Just like, oh, okay, Max won, great, move on. Never the lead never changed really. So, no passing happened. There was never a moment where I was like, I wonder if Lewis can beat Max. No, I never once thought that. So, Anyway, uh, that's all I have for today, guys. I love you. I appreciate you. Um, look at that. 40 minutes for an impromptu episode of Strong Opinion Sports. You're awesome. Have a great day. Uh, drink some water or something, and uh, I'll see you next time. Ba-dum-bum-bam. We are done.